Well, I did want to get your uh, moral compass. You know, we've been doing this for a hundred plus episodes, and I don't think I really know where you stand morally on this heavy, heavy weighted question. How seriously do you take the restroom for customers only? See, so this has like different applications because you have like uh, the kind of driving in, you know, East Texas in between major cities type of thing. And you stop at like the McDonald's and they might like imply that it's for customers only, but everybody stopping there is pretty much just to on a road trip and they need to take a piss. And you might, you know, then you might be enticed by the smell of fries to buy some fries after your piss. Um, but then, you know, when you're in like a crowded, like city, especially, uh, West coast, like in Seattle is one of the first times where I encountered like the very stringent only customers can use this bathroom policy because they're so concerned about their, uh, homeless and vagrant population, you know, actually not using the bathroom on the street that they have those things locked up so tightly and they're basically guarded by people with guns almost type of type of thing. <laughs> um, so so like unless you go up to the counter at, and buy a coffee or something like there's no way you could even know possibly what the 17 digit access code is to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like in L.A., like everywhere in L.A., um, one, a ton of places don't have bathrooms that they'll let you access anyways mm-hmm. like if you go around hollywood or something and go into a coffee shop they're not going to have one and yeah, yeah, most yeah. of the places are like cashless which is i'm pretty sure federally illegal <laughs> but uh they you know nobody cares because uh, who's going to complain uh homeless people which is you know messed up way of thinking mm-hmm. but the the places that do have bathrooms, like you would think, okay, well, I'll pop into this grocery store. The grocery stores have like the digit key locks on the bathrooms. Going to the bathroom at a grocery store was always weird because it, like, the only time I ever did it was when I was a little kid, you know, because you'd be it, like one grocery store shopping trip with your mom would seemingly take hours. So you might <laughs> yeah. need to like have a bathroom break halfway through. And it was always like in the back, like behind like the meat counter and you <laughs> yeah, have to walk through like counter. the <laughs> walk through the, like the service area behind where all the workers did. And it was all those like uh, rubber mats on the floor. So you wouldn't slip if the floor got wet. Yeah, and and the they, bathroom was often like doubled as the utility closet where they stored like all of the extra paper towels and like mop bucket and everything else was all just like crammed in that room. <laughs> they've they've updated the the grocery store bathroom. I do have to tell you, but it is located in the walkway to get like to the back storage rooms. Okay, so if you're waiting for the bathroom, you've got to like be pinned up against the wall as somebody's bringing a pallet of fried chicken, <laughs> like, you know, frozen chicken stuff through. Um, but yeah, it's and it's always weird because you're like trying to find a worker to ask them the code. Like, do you go up to the meat counter? Like, that's weird. Like, and they may not know because they they don't come out of behind yeah. the counter, you know? 
and <laughs> they're having to piss in bottles back there <laughs> right or do you go up to a cash register do you wait in line do you cut in front to like you know anyways but the the like driving through texas one was always strange because if you order something like a mcdonald's beforehand and like say you actually wanted something or you were thinking you wanted something you order something beforehand like a drink then they hand you the drink what are you doing then like are you <laughs> sitting down at the table waiting for my food then i'm, I'm just you... holding i'm just holding this explosive diarrhea till i can finish this quarter pounder <laughs> what's never ending to find Do you set it down and hope nobody takes it? Do you fill it up, set it down? I was at a, a taco place in LA and somebody took my drink once and I was like, well, I guess I don't have a drink anymore. Yeah. But, or do you, I mean, my move would usually be like, okay, well, I'll go to the bathroom first. And then it's like, okay, well, I can, you know, wash my hands beforehand and I've been right. touching this grubby steering wheel, I guess. Um, But then you're like, I don't really need anything. <laughs> and you leave. <laughs> it's like, I've already, you know, <laughs> I have conquered what I needed to. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, chain places, probably you don't need to worry about it. Right. Yeah. Not so much. Like if you're going into a big franchise, it's, it's probably tougher for them to even like, uh, monitor that, whether it's just someone rushing into, run their kid into the bathroom because they're about to pee their pants or if they're like, oh, you didn't order your chicken nuggets first. Yeah. You know. I mean, even if you felt guilty about it, and I ask because yesterday I was in downtown and working at a coffee uh, chain, which shall not be mentioned. Seattle's and, best. Yes, Pike's. Um, wait, no, what's the other one? Pete's. Dang yeah, Pete's. There you go. <laughs> um, so I was sitting there and uh, first off, this place had weird vibes um, to begin with, but I was like working on my computer, free Wi-Fi. And um, also, strangely, they don't have the option to tip when you pay with card there. That's That's very weird. Isn't that like... Like only we we're, they're just very respectful of the old fashioned tip jar on the counter. I guess you gotta drop like, us some cash in there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was on the the edge of Little Tokyo, so I'm thinking maybe they're just so used to people coming over from Little Tokyo that are like, you know, buying figurines and stuff and don't really want to spend any money that they like skip over the tip option mm -hmm. whenever they're clearing out for the next customer i don't know 
But, oh, um, side side tangent to that though. I know of a couple places here in Dallas where you you know it's like the iPad when you check out, and so you can like they give you the option 15, 20, 25% tip on top and you tap it and you right. sign it or whatever. Um, a couple of restaurants over here that used to have that have taken that off. And before they took it off, like the, the lady at the cash register w- told me before, she's like, you don't really have to leave that tip. It doesn't really go to us. What? <laughs> like the workers, like if you do the electronic one, it just, goes to the bottom line like we don't really get that money oh my god and then eventually that place took that option off of their of their thing so i don't know if it's like somehow those methods of tipping don't get factored in the same way as tipping if you were like sitting down at a normal restaurant or something and tipping that waiter and so like because those people are like behind the cashier type of behind the cash register type workers or fast food type workers like they don't get cut in on tips the same way like uh wait staff does who gets paid below minimum wage yeah so i'm not sure how all that shakes out legally but that was one of the things that i found out a few months ago that's weird i mean the there's like a barbecue place that we get um brisket from that is it's it's not Texas, but you know it's um it's the best that there is around here, and uh, it's run by like a Korean family, so their like barbecue sauce is really good because they mm-hmm. the spicy one they add in like Korean spicy stuff, nice. which I think it's like kochujang is what they add, I think, but it could be some other stuff. Uh, but it's their sauce is really good, and it's just like a family that runs it. Like there's like. Like six different people I've seen in there, but they all seem related because like just the way that they interact with each other. And um, but they have like one of those, you know, what is it? Square or toast or whatever. One of those sliding iPad things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they do the tablet and then they slide it and it's like, you know, portrait mode or whatever facing you to do the tip. So that one would make sense if it just goes to the bottom line. Um, but yeah, that is, that would be weird. But anyways, I was at this place and this, uh, like seems like boyfriend, girlfriend came in and the girlfriend wanted to use the bathroom. Everybody kept coming in wanting to use the bathroom. Uh, but she was like waiting for it. And the boyfriend was like going to go ask for the code, but then he saw the sign Mm. restroom for customers only. Oh. (laughs) thwarted again so he then yelled at her and said it says restroom for customers only and she yelled back and they got in an argument and left (laughs) (laughs) like what what must have been the argument in the car where they were like driving and they were like we got to pull over i've it's an emergency situation and he was like, but all these places that they're required that you have to be a customer in order to use the restroom. And she was like, no, this one coffee emporium that I love to go to always lets me use the restroom. I don't have to buy anything. And he's like, I don't believe you. And she's like, well, I have to go pull over now. So then they walk in and then he sees the sign. And he's like, ha, stupid girlfriend told you you couldn't use you. the restroom here. <laughs> yeah, I mean. That's why I was just so confused because, as I mentioned, just if you're 
embarrassed to use the restroom because you haven't bought anything, just buy a granola bar. Like, is it not <laughs> worth it? Where else are you going to go? Like, the FedEx store isn't going to Or don't even buy something for you. Just go stand in line behind the guy who's, like, getting a black coffee and be like, that's on me. I got that one. And then, yeah. and then he can't use the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you leech. <laughs> I would love to do that. Yeah, buy coffee for somebody else, and then just and then just be spit like, yeah, at their feet. Yeah, but uh, you know, you know, now you can't use the bathroom because uh, I am the customer. <laughs> you buy them the coffee, and yeah. then they reach for it, and you go, no, 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 now, <laughs> perilous situation we're in, aren't we? What can you do for me to get this? Sip of coffee. So, turns out you owe me now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with the Hindu concept of dharma? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's, Wait, that, that should that be Hindu? your new move. Yeah. No, that's not Hindu. That's, is it? Is it? Yeah. Or is it Buddhist? I don't know. Dharma. Not lost. Oop, Buddhism. Oops, Sikhism. Yeah. Others, Hinduism. There we go. Okay. We're in the clear. No need to scratch this entire opening. As from what I remember week. from the documentary Lost. I don't know why they, why it was called the Dharma Project. Dharma was Initiative. Be, Dharma Initiative. Is it because they lived in different time periods or whatever? I don't even know what the what the etymology of the company's name was, to be honest. It's been so long since I've thought about that show. <laughs> it was I remember people hated the season finale and I was like, Have you watched this entire show? This is like exactly what the season no, finale we were, would but be. We were waiting. We were we had been, we watched faithfully for all those seasons to finally get our questions answered because it was a show of nothing but questions and no answers and we were like finally well are gonna sit down and they're just gonna run through all the answers for all this stuff for us and then they didn't do it then they didn't do it they i feel like they answered enough they were dead <laughs> i mean that's <laughs> what i don't know want. i don't think they were i mean they went back to la it's it was just their um Jack the grew a beard and started beating up bus drivers in Chicago because they're female. Oh, that was yeah, his, that's he, his real life. He was uh trying to get back with Kate. See, this is I th I think um this is why we need um Trey Trey because yeah. I believe he's a lost historian. Yeah, he yeah he he definitely knows. I mean, I've watched it three times, like when it first was airing on TV, and then two times subsequently over the last few years, where Nikki and I have just watched the whole series again. But honestly, I can't tell you what the uh, origin of the Dharma name or anything was. I'm sure it's some <laughs> kind of. I'm sure if I go to Lostpedia and look up what like the imagery was for the, um octagon shape with the dharma logo in it and all that i'm sure that all has some some sort of symbolic meaning but i'm yeah. not sure i mean i don't watch a ton of shows that are like what would you call that show a drama yeah Action like a, 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 a uh 
suspense drama. Uh, okay. Uh, bordering on like sci-fi themes. Okay. See, I like the only other show recently that I can remember watching like that is The Expanse. And The Expanse has like cliffhanger kind of things. But if you go back and watch those shows from like the early uh, 2000s, like Lost, it is ridiculous the like cliffhanger that it has oh yeah it doesn't you go to the next episode that's the thing with like the expanse and then especially whenever amazon took it over they stopped really doing cliffhangers that much yeah because everyone's watching it in like binge mode now right but it it i mean i'm sure that has something to do with the change but the the like answers would be answered on the expanse within the next two minutes of the next episode if you had to figure out what Mm -hmm. was going on um but in like lost you would come back for the next episode which i mean i watched lost through when it was on because i was like in high school it finished when i was in high school i think maybe my freshman year of college yeah like what was like 2007 2007 or 2008 was the finale <clears throat> uh lost finale i feel like it was from the beginning of when i got married like 2003 and then went to like 2008 maybe it aired may 23rd 2010 okay so that's why i'm remembering it because i did have to watch it on hulu back then uh kids hulu was free <laughs> and you would just watch commercials in between things um you didn't have to pay for anything and then you would vote whether or not the the commercial was relevant to you um so (laughs) but the commercials were important because they gave you that time to let the next you know five minutes of the show like buffer and load up so that you could actually watch it (laughs) because the the, the internet speeds were so low (laughs) but how frustrating was that whenever you would the commercials would be loaded no problem yeah and then you the show would start and you would only have like two seconds of of buffer and, and then like, spinning wheel what, what were we doing here or or the commercials so, would always be like high resolution quality but then it would like switch back yes. to the episode and then you'd like have to wait because it would like it would send it to you in like 480p like the lowest possible it could all pixelated and stuff while the buffering started to get out ahead of it so it could like send the full resolution. Yeah, then it would turn black for like 2 seconds and then come back <laughs> at like a higher resolution. No the sound none of these none of these children understand what we had to go through. I know. In I, our adult sure. life. This is in our adult life. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I know watching it like the cliffhangers were nuts because I would watch it on Hulu. It's like in high school, you know, I'd watch it whenever it came out or on the DVR, like Mm -hmm. a few hours later. But it would come back to the show and then it would be 30 minutes of the show before the characters who you just saw, like almost drown are back on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I'm so glad that uh, TV has evolved, which I don't watch a ton, but for the shows that I watch, I feel like... Breaking Bad probably has bad um, cliffhangers, though. Yeah, anything that really relied on, um, like, broadcast TV as the medium probably has a lot of, like, commercial break type of cliffhangers to make you not turn the channel and all that type of stuff still baked into it. Yeah. But 
anyways, at least we don't have to deal with a who shot Mr. Burns. Anymore. It was Maggie. I don't think they do that. Um, which I've only seen, I think, one episode of The Simpsons ever. That's that's a problem, Eric. You sh- you have Disney Plus, right? No. Oh. Well, I guess you can't watch all of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that was going to be uh, what I was going to talk about instead of the bathroom. So we went to I went to Disneyland for the first time this weekend. Oh, yeah. Did you ride the Simpsons ride? <laughs> they don't have a Simpsons ride there. Why not? It's a Disney property. They have a do Star War. Do they have Star Wars rides? Uh, yeah. So why don't they have a Simpsons ride? Disney rides Sim. They have a Simpsons Land, don't they? Or is Simpsons World? Maybe it's at. No, that's at Universal Studios. Yeah. Do they have a Harry Potter ride at Disneyland, or is that just reserved for Florida? Harry Potter is also Universal. Well, it's. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Harry Potter. But I thought, yeah, Harry Potter's universal, but Simpsons is a Disney property now. Now, I suppose. But yeah, they haven't. Well, Disneyland is so small and so old, they don't tear out places unless it's going to. Unless they got to get rid of all those rapey Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Did you go on that? And are they still showing like women getting raped in the ride and stuff? No, they've they changed that ride. Oh, a few years ago, um, where like instead of the men chasing the women, it was the women chasing the men. They just ah, switched the mannequins because of the whole Amber Heard thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but uh, they did add um, Captain Jack Sparrow in at one point but they're renovating it now so i think they're probably getting rid of that <laughs> um but they we sell mega pints of disney juice <laughs> they redid the splash mountain which we didn't ride um but they've redone that like remember it was a uh, racist yeah and well they they now changed it it's like I mean, I guess some of the animatronics might be the same because it's kind of swampy, but they changed it to the princess and the frog. Okay, yeah. Um, the the one black princess in Disney in Disney lore. Yeah, it's kind of a weird. And then they had to put her in Louisiana because, of course. <laughs> right, and then they had to have her not be a black character the entire movie. That's the thing that Disney yeah. likes to do is if. <laughs> They're going to have a non-white character. They make them a little ghost or a frog or something that's not... They don't need skin tones in their movies. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, you know, it's like a more modern, like uh, like Moana, where everybody has to have a skin tone. Yeah, yeah. It's... um, I don't know. It's very strange, but I got stuck on a ride, which was my first time ever getting stuck on a ride. So that was... Okay. Enjoyable. All right. Um, Was it teacups? But Dumbo? No. (laughs) The Matterhorn, which is, I think, like one of the oldest rides at Disney because it has nothing to do with any Disney property. They don't have like some weird uh, uh, sound of music shit on that or anything. (laughs) Does Disney own sound of music? Yeah, but no, they instead have a terrifying-looking Yeti that, okay. like, jumps out at different points. It's like, 
got red glowing eyes and insanely sharp teeth and like jumps at the <laughs> at the ride um but they we got stuck right before the splash okay which was enjoyable <laughs> at least because i didn't know there was water involved yeah the <laughs> we were driving back from uh, Fort Worth the other day and driving past Six Flags and just the thought of everybody who's at Six Flags right now in 105 degree temperature just being like, you know, it'd be great. Let's go on all the water rides God, and just yeah. how bad that place must smell because <laughs> everyone just walking around smelling like wet dog and soggy bottom and, you know, the gross smell of wet sh tennis shoes after people have been walking around all uh, uh, just I can't imagine going in the in that level of heat and then wanting to do a water ride. Dude, the Six Flags water rides are insane how much you get wet. Like yes. compared to other amusement parks, <laughs> they're crazy. Like they're like, let's just dunk you in water. <laughs> well, just have a dunk booth instead. And then let's just make a bridge over the the splashdown ride so that people could just stand on that as spectators and get splashed. They don't even have to go on the ride. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. I, I was talking about Six Flags too um, with Miho because they have a Six Flags here, but it's like three hours away. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's because uh, Texas had the Six Flags over it. And then I was like, yeah, and you know, now that I think about it, each location was kind of based off of the different country. Like you got Spain, mm -hmm. where the like the big um, galleon or whatever yeah, that kind of ship is called, and uh, then you got you know Old West, and then well, then you had like Looney Tunes land. Why did they have <laughs> Looney Tunes land? Oh right, <laughs> can't have a Confederacy land, can we? <laughs> nope, nope. I mean, you kind of have a Confederacy land. There's like the old antebellum building and uh, you can go in there and you can see the the shows where they sing like Dixieland songs and stuff. You kind of have Confederacy land. And then that's separate from like the Wild West land where they have like the saloon and the cowboy shootout. It's like right, a different right. part. Yeah, it's it's very funny because three of those lands are just what Texas is right now, like <laughs> yeah. in mentality. <laughs> well, and, and now now you know you got like the space stuff or the space in the Air Force type of rides because you know Texas with NASA. Oh, okay. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I enjoy like roller coasters, like actual roller coasters. But um, Disney was Disney was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it was fun because Miho's really excited to go there. Um, not the same as Tokyo, though. The Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Sea are um, superbly uh, kept up. Okay, like it's crazy, and they're not like operated by Disney, which is the crazy thing. They're the only Disney parks that are not. It's either not operated or not like totally owned by. They just but paid the for time, the branding licenses, and then they're like, yeah, but yeah. we're going to handle it ourselves, guys. Yeah, so and at, since then, Disney has owned all of them, and so I think Disney was like, we lost a ton of potential money like uh, by letting them do that. So that's also why I think it's kind of kept up like pristinely. Um, mm -hmm. But anyways, 
the the Texas thing leads me cleanly then into our topic. Yes. Look at that. So I wanted to cover roses, and then um, as I was researching it, I apologize. There's actually not a whole lot <laughs> on roses, apparently. Well, they're, they're, they've got a lot of interesting things, especially when it comes to like uh, domestication and especially like when we've talked about the other stuff like marijuana and dogs. Uh, roses kind of have a similar type of history. But even before that, like their hybridization is like uh, really decided by kind of a lot of continental drift and uh you know things happening from the late cretaceous that end up with the land masses being the way they're situated now and pollinators ending up making hybrid different versions of them because now they're close enough for a bee to fly from one type to another type yeah it's really i mean i found it pretty interesting i started out with like just roses and then i kind of zoomed out to the rosaceae family so the actual like when you talk about taxonomy the classification Mm -hmm. level is called family um and people call it that the rose family but um in that then you have you know smaller groupings and all that kind of stuff but i won't get into that too much uh maybe a little later on yeah i mean i didn't realize that like apples and apricots and almonds and Uh, prunes and all of those like fruit bearing plants are also are all part of the same family yeah the 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 well-known members of rosales which is like um rosales i guess that's like the rose family right rosales is an order of flowering plants so you have order and you have family and all that kind of stuff which it's interesting that they're all like all of these are named after the rose which is also kind of why I wanted to research this because it's like, how does this plant that is purely ornamental, yes, it, it makes like fruit and like some people kind of eat it. And then um, what apothecaries used it mm-hmm. because um, that's still something that we have to contend with to this day. <laughs> Essential oils are still a big game, bro. Right. <laughs> uh, but the how is it that it had such a strong hold that all of these like taxonomical rankings are named after the rose. <laughs> and then you're like, how do they even come up with this many different ways of <laughs> reusing ROS to name this stuff? Right, right. <laughs> <clears throat> but the well-known members of the Rosales order and order for humans is primates. So, um, you know, there's quite a few primates, but still you can imagine that's how related all of these things are so pretty closely like you know you can look at a a, obviously chimpanzee is much closer but you can look at those and be like yeah i can see where that comes look at that i'm a lemur right so you got roses strawberries blackberries raspberries apples pears plums peaches apricots almonds rowan hawthorn jujubee elms banyans which is the only one that i've never heard of before figs mulberries breadfruit okay that's a second one i had never read you never had breadfruit no i don't know what it is it's crazy um nettles hops and cannabis which we spoke about how closely those are related Mm -hmm. but those are also part of the rosales order Mm -hmm. and so you can think then like that's an insane (laughs) grouping of 
things that we all like rely on and they're totally different and found in different climates and different cuisines and everything but they're like the the rose family is considered one of the six most economically important crop plants yeah so you have like you have like grass family which rice wheat corn would come from bean family for soybeans obviously other beans tomato family mustard family which is where you get like cabbage and turnips and broccoli and then the squash family is also from the rose family watermelons honeydews squash zucchini like all of those if you combine the squash family with the bean family and then the grass family those are the three sisters of the mesoamerican culture Mm -hmm. those are the diets of two continents (laughs) like what they had to eat yeah so you can just it's wild to then imagine all of these different types of things are so important to diet and really evolution of humans um, that it's, I don't know, I have found it like very cool that they're all so closely related to each other. Yeah, and the fact that going back to our dinosaurs episodes, you know, we talked about all the uh, megafauna and stuff that was, and the flora that was around at the time and how like, for the majority of those dinosaurs' existence, there's no flowers at all. Like, there's no flowering plants of any kind. It's all just, mm-hmm. like, ferns and big-leafed junk. Um, because, like, uh, you, and then you had, like, um, evergreen-type trees uh, that had, like, cone-type of systems that would, like, send their... Everything would just basically send their pollen out through the air and then let the wind decide where it mixed with whatever their mate was so that their pollen could pollinate that thing and create more of it. Um, It's only in like the late Cretaceous, almost to the end of dinosaurs, when flowers start to pop up at all. And it's like a huge explosion that coincides the same time with pollinating insects um basically being that uh once you get what before there's nectar there's pollen and while you have plants that have nectar like there's no insects or anything that want nectar at the beginning it's like the the pollen and then they use the the pollen is like a thing that insects can eat it's very nutritious to them um so you get like a lot of insects that were previously like carnivorous type of insects that kind of switch to being vegetarian and they start you know because this pollen is way better and more efficient and easier to get to than it is like hunting other insects and bringing them back to your young type of way of doing things um and so as more insects fly onto these different things to gather pollen then you know you have this convergent evolution where then you The plants make flowers that attract certain types of insects to get to their pollen because they know if an insect touches this one and then just flies a few feet over to the next one, it's going to distribute some of its pollen to the other one and then they can reproduce more rapidly. And so basically everything explodes in flowers, like huge explosions of flowers all over to a landscape that had just been basically green. Like everything was only green. <laughs> now all of a sudden you have every type of color being represented. Um, and that's really kind of one of the things that allows for insects 
flower plants and small mammals to survive the um, extinction event at the late Cretaceous because like the those insects are still able to survive the rapid reproduction rate of pollinating um, flowers rather than just letting the wind do the job makes it such that there's a lot more diversity and robustness inside of those um, families so the so the the flowers are much more abundant and they bounce back a lot faster Um, the fruits that are provided by these flowers are eaten by all the little tiny mammals that eventually become us like it's it's a pretty interesting story just to get to the flowering part and the roses are kind of at the beginning of that story yeah the the thing too though like when you think about how did like fruits come to be and there's other types of fruits like you know bananas do exist but bananas are like like a grass kind of not in, thing. they wouldn't exist anymore if it weren't for us humans right right but it's you know there's all these different types of fruits but so many of them come from this like this um order of of plants but then if you just think about it for a second you're like okay they make tasty treats and animals will eat tasty treats mm-hmm. and then distribute the seeds like it like okay well yeah then that makes total sense um so it is kind of like interesting though that all of the flowers too in this family in this order i'm probably going to like mix those up because it i don't care (laughs) to remember Mm -hmm. that stuff like that detailed anymore um but whatever this group of like roses is their structure of flowers are super similar like if you look at a rose the, the you know you have like the petals and you have you know if you are able to kind of crack it open like it's called a cut flower the type that you would have at the store mm-hmm. um most roses in the wild though are like they bloom and die in one day like they're yeah. extremely f- fragile and that's you know they were associated with like love back then when it was only wildflowers they had not they were cultivated by like the romans and stuff for decoration but it wasn't the same that you would find today and of course aphrodite the greek god like um when she rose out of the sea she was you know formed from sea foam and then the rest of the foam turned into white roses Mm -hmm. and then red roses appeared because she um, was going to help uh, her love Adonis, who was fighting a boar, and he was gored by a boar, <laughs> and a thorn um, nicked her thigh, and blood fell on the flower, and that's how red roses were created. So they have connotations with like love and like pain with love, and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, um, and the fleeting feeling of it, which is again I find very interesting, and that you know the the origin of like them being associated with love goes even further back than the greeks but anyways the right because even the scent the fragrance is like associated with sensuality going back to like uh middle eastern pre-roman cultures and china and stuff too yeah like if you think about it you know this the romans come around or whatever they don't then go hey we like this flower that nobody else has liked and we're going to then have an insane trade network of perfumes that are created from <laughs> roses. Like it definitely existed before them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like in cuneiform tablets, like 
they know what the word is for rose because looking back um uh they in like ancient babylonian they've figured out oh this in literature like love poetry and stuff they use this word to describe like the image of a of a beautiful woman and stuff but then they also use that in like a uh, type of like irony where they talk about it's also got thorns and stuff so f- from understanding like um, the descriptive language of the sort of fantasy poetry and literature of the time then they went back and were like oh now I understand that this word also appears in these like taxonomic type of tables where they're just like cataloging stuff in cuneiform and things like that and so they're like okay they were describing like roses and different types of roses all the way back and like the earliest form of any type of written text that we have is got roses mentioned in it yeah it's it was very cool did you see like the bbc documentary from the old guy like the botanist who was going around about the roses yeah the, the one from like 1994 or something yeah 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 I, like, I watched part of that Yes. Um, Did you so? Did you see when he went to like the museum and the guy wrote out Rose with like a ruler? Oh no! He like took a clay tablet to him, and it's you know it's very yikes (laughs) to watch now because he's like he's like you know so I wanted to learn about the origin of the rose, and so um, what better place to go than the British Museum? And so imperialists, we've taken over all of the culture from every corner of the world and stored it in these little buildings. Right. The the guy is like, you know, whenever people from Asia or or from Africa are interested in learning about their culture, they come to us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, whoa, buddy. Um, but he he brought him like a clay tablet and he's like, could you write in cuneiform the word for rose? And so he like takes a ruler and like writes it out. So you and the camera's just right up on it, so you can see him actually writing. And I'm like, this guy's, you know, for being an imperialist, he is pretty quick at being able to write uniform. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know impressive. all my three three vertical lines, three horizontal right. lines, one horizontal <laughs> line, two vertical lines. I know how to do okay, it. Okay, I guess it's not that complex, but <laughs> but anyways, the um the thing with like the shape of the flower that's interesting is. They have, so the, you know, you mentioned like dinosaurs, but there's evolutionary evidence that traces the Rosaceae family as far back as 120 million years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's when the, the ancestor of the Rosaceae separated from other families. And 20 million la- years later, um, the shrub subfamily um, split into two other subfamilies and immediately followed by a divergence of the two largest subfamilies at about 100 million years ago. So this is extremely old and this is the early to and late Cretaceous mm-hmm. um, that has since blossomed 3,000 species. So of course, each of these species, which I'm sure there have been plenty that have existed and then gone extinct since then, uh, you find the same type of like flower shape on them which is of course makes sense evolutionarily but it's sort of unique in that it has like the normal shape of the flower you have the petals it's typically in fives which yeah. is kind of cool everything um, in then, fives that was the other yeah. weird thing 
everything in fives, but like the stamen, which is where like the pollen would be located. Um, wait, is that the stamen? Hold on. I had a pull up your oh. diagram. Your your, pull up my your diagram. botanist diagram of a dissection yeah. of a rose. Do you ever dissect plants? Um why can this site not be reached? I'm just Googling. Um We did carnations and we did tulip bulbs and something else. I don't think so. You know, you take the, but it was, it was just like when you dissected like the fetal pig or the newt or all the other stuff you dissected in science. Like you had the little surgical exacto knife tool and you cut it all open. You had to take apart all the different sexual organs of the plant. Yeah, we didn't do plants. I did like a sheep's eye and a fetal pig and, well, it's sheep's eye in middle school, fetal pig in high school, or did I do a frog? I think I did a, I can't remember, but no, yeah, I did a, a frog in high school. And then in college, I had that comparative chordate anatomy class right. where we dissected, um, see, my my freshman biology professor would uh, kick me. It's, it's dissected. There's two yeah, S's. Oh, yeah. Um, Dissect. The, it comes from the Greek dis, which means <laughs> to separate. Into two uh, sections. So, <laughs> which is where you get division from and yeah. Uh so we we took apart some type of worm and some type of like um insect and a fetal pig and uh some type of shark. Ah. Which was kind of weird cuz you like the anatomy of sharks is very strange yeah. and it's it's really weird to like like bugs obviously or an eye makes sense but it's strange to cut open something that has no bones yeah because you're like you know how do i get into that cavity and they're just like just cut through the cartilage <laughs> <You're> like oh yeah <laughs> um so the stamen was correct uh i win yeah uh, yet again but the stamen are in five but what's strange is some of them they said appear to be actually they're five individual like anther parts where the pollen is, but two of them are, or four of them are like fused into twos. So it is like three it's at like the three, bottom. A singular and two pairs. Right. It, which is again, very strange. And those are arranged in a spiral. So if you have more of them in multiples of five, then it is like spiraling down. Um, but the the anatomy of it, the strange part is like if you look at the bottom of a rose, you'll notice like it has kind of that like pulpy area. Yeah, the the fat round base or right. underneath where underneath where the bud comes from. And so that is like in different rose um, fruits. There's. Like, first off, if you were to make a rose hip, so like that type of fruit that actually comes from a rose. Looks like a little that's cherry where tomato. It would form. Yeah, it'll it'll form in that bit. And that's like not technically where like the ovary is or something. That's like an additional part of the flower, which is then unique to this entire like, you know, rosaceae kind of grouping. But there's also other ones like um, 
apples and stuff form the fruit not fully from the ovary like where the like pollen meets the you know the ovary and causes the fruit to form there's like flower parts and all this other kind of tissue that comes into play to make the fruit which then just shows you how like insane the the grouping of this kind of plant is that it it formed these different ways of making all of these fruits Mm -hmm. and and protecting its seeds and everything um and And all of those seeds inside of those fruits if you eat them raw could uh, will uh release cyanide (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah they have they all have like the the chemical that'll turn into cyanide if you ingest it in the wrong way. You got to get an apple seed license and able to make those correct. Or like those, those like uh, the the really raw, authentic almonds. You can get, you can really derive some cyanide from those too. Yeah, um, which is weird. Did you know, like the maraschino cherry flavor? That's from almonds. No, the that is an almond flavor. Interesting. Okay, I had like some almond bread, uh, like a few months ago, and I was like, "Why does this taste like cherries? That's so weird." <laughs> and then I looked up, and yeah, it's like almonds, like some sort some of kind essential of, almond oil used to sweeten yeah, the cherries, yeah. so they yeah. don't taste tart. Yeah, I guess so. It's very strange. Um, but in the evolutionary course. The like rose family flowers, they like changed from mostly multi flowered, where it would be like a compound inflorescence, and you would just have like a, a stick with like tons of flowers on it, mm-hmm. to like few flowered with simple inflorescence, to finally becoming like a solitary flower, yeah, on like the stick. And so it's kind of interesting that you can trace this difference between like how the flowers evolved over time and you can map it um you know of course genetically and then through the movement of tectonic plates to then be able to see literally how <laughs> these plants moved across the entire world it also had like a tendency to be if it was a bisexual flower changing to a unisex flower which is a weird term when it talks about flowers, but unisex means only one of the sexes, like right, not um, yeah. instead of having both sexual reproductive parts, not universal sex, uni right. meaning one, right? Which <laughs> you know literally makes sense, but then in the way that we use it is confusing. Um, but they would form like a dense spike, so then it would be like a spike with a ton of flowers on it mm-hmm. that to try to help with cross pollination. So it's kind of just interesting that there's this movement and there's like they can kind of pinpoint the location where the first like hybrid rose came from too through all of this yeah yeah and that goes back to the pollinators like it's not uh it's not some you know early hominid or or some creature was like oh wow this plant is really pretty you know what that other plant is really pretty what if we put them together like, uh, it strictly has to do with, like, a bee that was like, hey, I like this flower. 
oh, wow, well, uh, the continents got smashed together, so now this other flower that used to just grow up on a mountainside is now real close to this other flower that's kind of close to the water, so uh, I'll just fly to that one. <laughs> yeah, the like the one, the first hybrid rose that they think they found, and I don't remember the name of it, I think it was, uh, no, it wasn't the Damascus rose i can't remember there's tons of roses <laughs> there's too many and people mm. are making new ones it's yeah it's like dogs <laughs> now it yeah. is like dogs <laughs> yeah yeah it's i'm sure in a hundred years people are going to find it just very barbaric that they were crossing these flowers <laughs> making them have so many petals that no insect could possibly reach the pollen inside because the petals are so crammed so tightly all over the top of the bud that like it's only an ornamental flower this flower cannot reproduce it's like uh it's like turkeys or something you know yeah yeah (laughs) they can't even have sex anymore we have to artificially inseminate turkeys because we made their breasts too big (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um the there was like two different types of roses that had just evolved in the mediterranean one on like a south-facing slope of a hill and one on a north-facing slope. And the south-facing slope, um, let me control F south so I can get this right, <laughs> would have been dry um, because of just the way that the like wind blows in the Mediterranean and the north-facing hill would be cool and damp. And so then you have, you can see how like flowers would grow better in that condition the way we try to describe evolution obviously is like it's not that they say i want to be in a cool damp area it's that seeds land there and it begins to sprout and ones that just have genetic differences in them um that are beneficial to that type of soil and climate then are better to thrive there. They make more flowers mm-hmm. that then get pollinated and stuff. So it just literally makes sense when you think about it that way. But being so closely related to each other, that bee was able to then fly over, as you mentioned, and just cause a hybrid one that was able to take the robustness of the dry soil to the um, damp one, then making a hybrid rose that was able to grow in both conditions and thrive in both conditions, which is very cool. Yeah. And, and not, there's no like intentionality behind that hybridization. That is like a, and that is an environmental evolutionary pressure that creates the hybridization, not uh, a vanity project by some humans trying to make a corgi. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The vanity project of it was a, was very strange there's like a story of um some roman uh emperor or king i can't remember that he he wanted to have like a rose party oh for his 18th birthday yeah i saw i read about that one and uh so he dumped roses on everyone and like nine people suffocated (laughs) yeah it was like it was a party where it was like a 24-hour kind of you know, orgy type of fest. And he had it rigged up in the ceiling where rose petals would just be constantly falling for like the full 24 hours from the ceiling. But I guess they didn't realize that roses, when they, you know, start to pile up, get pretty dense and all those petals can layer on top of each other, making it such that air cannot get into that pile anymore. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's so insane, but so Roman. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> royalty, very it's very right? much like uh, oh crap, we didn't realize there were nine dead kids in the bottom of the ball pit at this Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm glad that they found that one out before making a rose pit Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> um, so I think the. The cultivation of it is like kind of interesting. I think the modern cultivation is strange because they're, of course, they're trying to make roses that are climate, um, not sensitive, climate robust, I guess. Yeah, the, the like, climate and the temperature really matters for being able to grow different types of species. But also when you're really trying to get like roses by themselves are a big market, of course, like Valentine's Day and people right. giving roses and all that. But like the big profit yields off of roses are like the oils and the different things you can extract from them um, for perfumes and cooking and medicine and lots of other types of things that they used to sell it. So like uh, in order to be able to extract the most oil out of a certain type of rose, you have to get it really controlled, very similar to marijuana in order to like yield the highest THC, CBD mixture of buds that have the highest level of potency and can, you know, give you a, a, a residual crop that keeps coming around on a regular basis. Like you have to really control that environment, which means you have to grow it indoors and control the light very specifically for the times when it's perfectly dark versus perfectly light, control the temperature very rigidly, control just the, the strength of the breeze that might blow across those plants, uh, leaves because that matters because it helps them grow strong because the they need to be blown around a little bit but if you blow them too much then they start to get like survival mode type of instincts and they stop you know yielding the same amounts of oil or whatever you're trying to get out of them so this is a roses are one of the very uh kind of the first uh botany uh science type of projects and we're start they start building greenhouses and things and these very specific climate controlled um apparatuses that then get used for a lot of other applications later on but it's kind of specifically for roses in the beginning yeah it's like it's strange too because you have like the those very scientific ways of approaching it and then you also have a bunch of people that have created their own type of roses that are just like backyard gardeners. Yeah, just backyard. Yeah, <laughs> like, and that, that doing the research for this was that was the tough part. Is that uh, so many podcasts and articles and blogs and YouTube videos of just like Sally and her gardening partners out in the backyard talking about the different uh, hybrids they made this last this right. last year and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, right. this is not really helpful. Yeah, I'm trying to research, <laughs> and they all know the names of like all the different right. roses, so you can't follow along because they're like, "Well, I took the delphinium that had the, which is a different type of flower." But yeah, it's um, it's funny because I that BBC documentary uh, guy, he had like the ancient rose, and then he went on to like a part two where he's talking about modern cultivation. Okay. And so it was kind of interesting because like the people were talking about like what they were wanting to make out of the roses. And then the backyard gardeners were like, you know, this was just a sprout and this is one that I'm hoping to grow into blah, blah, blah. So it can go to market and people can use it to crossbreed or as 
ornamental things this or whatever. This is the one I hope they bury on my grave. <laughs> right. And then he is like, so how many do you have? And he's like, just this. He's like, this one plant? He's like, yep, this is the entire world's supply of this new type of rose. Yeah. And it's just like outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, so it's, 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 it's Bob's, Bob's rose that he only he made. <laughs> yeah. And of course, this is like in the 90s. So I wonder now if they've done like gone back and done genetic testing to be like, this is actually not a new type of rose or whatever. Mm. But they were working on like having um, creating thornless flowers um, so that they could be easier as gifts, which they did create in the 90s. Uh, Really shiny foliage, which they did create in the 90s. But one that was kind of interesting was um, bringing the color blue into it. Yeah, and I was reading a little bit about this. All the other colors are there, but no blue roses. Yeah, naturally in, in nature or whatever. In and that's across like all of the rosaceae. Like, there's no apple tree that has blue or any blue pigment in it. Um, and so that was like one thing that in the '90s they were really focused on was trying to make like an actually blue rose. If you've seen a blue rose before, it was dyed that color. Yeah, probably white dipped in food coloring. Yeah, and so they they came up with like one type of blue rose that they thought was like through a cross, but then they were looking at it and they're like, "This is this is like like maroon. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not really blue." <clears throat> but in 2004. Um, scientists spent 13 years on collaborative research between an Australian company, um, Floragene, and a Japanese company, San- Suntory. Suntory, <laughs> like, makes whiskey <laughs> and okay. beer and food <laughs> in Japan and, like, other drinks and stuff. So I found it. So they very might be interested, in, but this. they might be interested in it just for like flavoring the beer, flavoring the food, and because I found a lot of the stuff from the ec- extract from the different roses is is used for those types of purposes. Yeah, I suppose they could do that. I don't know though. It <clears throat> the way that some companies like that are that conglomerate huge, they like love those things as uh, marketing. Like oh, to be like, yeah, yeah, we yeah. created the blue rose. Come buy our chocolate. Yeah, no, yeah. Now <laughs> it's the symbol of our company. Yeah, yeah. We own the patent on blue roses. And so they, they um, created a rose that contains the blue pigment uh, delphinidin, and this was created in 2004 by genetically engineering a white rose. So they. They were able to take, uh, they added two genes into it, interfering with another pigment type of gene. Um, so I'll just read here from like the research paper. First, the researchers inserted a gene for the blue plant pigment, delphinidin, cloned from the pansy into a purplish red old garden rose, resulting in a dark burgundy rose. The researchers, the researchers then used RNA interference technology to depress all other color production by endogenous genes by blocking a crucial protein in color production and adding a variant of that protein that would not be blocked by RNAi um, but would allow a color of delphinidin to show. 
So in theory, it would then create a truly blue rose. But what comes out is like a red-tinged mauve lavender mm. kind of thing. But um, like the the rose petals are more acidic than a pansy, which is why this color is coming through in that way. But they're then going to be able to like deepen the blue color by just cross-pollinating you know, the sprouts that come out that have rose petals that are less acidic Mm -hmm. that then allow that blue color to come through. So they literally have the gene to make blue pigment in roses now, but it took them inserting genes (laughs) into the DNA. Now we just got to wait for that one mutant to to be just pure royal blue that pops out eventually, you know, over enough long enough lineage that you get the yeah. one real big mutant that's like everyone clones from after that. Yeah. Which is, you know, I don't think I really care about it too much. I don't I like flowers. Um but roses have not been one that I've like <clears throat> really been drawn to or anything, but I found it kind of interesting that like I don't know what this blue rose would do. I feel like in Japan, because Suntory's behind it, and they will do a ton of marketing mm-hmm. once they get it, uh, it'll probably be big there and sell for, you know, 35, 40 bucks per stem. But I can't find it taking off in the US. But at the same time, I learned like red roses are really the only roses people care about in the US. Whereas, because, and like, like in, half of them are sold on Valentine's Day or something like that. Yeah. And it's like a $1 billion industry in the U.S. But in like Europe, roses are supposedly just like an everyday kind of flower, (laughs) which is then interesting. Like they have the different, you know, colors meaning different things, but it's not the same depth of like caring about getting roses specifically, Mm -hmm. um, which I found kind of interesting. Um, the, uh, so, so I found a big space connection. I don't know if you saw this. I, I haven't found any space, no. Okay, so, in 2002, well, actually in, like, 1996 or 97, um, there's a global natural products company, uh, called IFF, and I think that part of them is based in Japan, but one of their main things is, uh, you know, developing fragrances. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so they teamed up with NASA because NASA, um, for the 95th shuttle mission of uh, Discovery, was, had put together this um, botany lab that went in the middle bay of, of the space shuttle. And it was called the Astro Culture Lab. It's just a box that's like uh, 20 by 9 by 17 inches. Not a big box, small box. Um, but the idea was they were going to like see how different plants behaved in uh, microgravity um, because, you know, a lot of plant stuff on Earth really depends on gravity. Like uh, even even stuff for like the fragrances and how those oils generate are very specific to being in a on on the planet Earth. Like the things evaporate at specific times because of the atmosphere. The uh, the different oils are drawn to different parts of the plant because of gravity. So um, 
the big test of this was to try to just figure out one, like how can we actually measure the differences of how plants would grow in a microgravity environment? Does it eventually, you know, harm them over time because they evolved in gravity? Can they actually survive over long periods of time, procreate? But but bigger was looking at the being able to see on the chemical analysis level, like how the different changes in microgravity and atmosphere changed the fragrances of those plants and would they generate fragrances that you could not get on earth like you could only get these fragrances because it's in Mm. a microgravity type of experience so they go up there in 2002 they run the experiment and um, they do three different analyses of the fragrance of the roses um, based upon their chemical composition and on all three times, they're slightly different because they're done at, you know, different stages. The roses that they sent up were these sort of specifically engineered miniature roses that would fit inside the box. Um, and usually with like small roses or ones that have been modified like that, they are almost have no fragrance because they just don't have the same like glands or the same ability to produce the oils that would create the fragrances. Um mm-hmm. But these were genetically modified in order to basically be a miniature version of a fragrant rose that the the pink type of rose that is the the general smell that people use for like rose water and in perfumes and stuff like that. Because there are other roses that like produce a bitter smell because they're trying to attract like different kinds of pollinators than the really florally ones that everyone, when you say rose, you just associate the smell of a rose with that smell. <clears throat> so uh, the the fragrance, basically the analysis is that the fragrance is a variable and elusive commodity evolved solely to help plants reproduce by attracting the insects and animals they need to spread their pollen around. So those floral smells... They might be sweet to us or whatever, but when you're in the absence of that environment, like what are they going to produce the same thing was kind of what they were looking for. So these volatile oils that create the fragrance and people call the volatile oils, that's like the correct term. People call them essential oils now and they sell them to you at like house parties for a pyramid scheme, but that's like a totally different thing. Than what this is these are insanely flammable <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah extremely volatile you you mix them together they go boom <clears throat> so but the the most important thing about them is that they evaporate at room temperature so like perfumes um you know you can't like just isolate that fragrance from the flower and then wear it as a perfume because it evaporates at room temperature in a natural atmosphere you have to somehow mix it with alcohol in order to preserve the fragrance so it won't evaporate because if you mix it with water or you mix it with other things that just dilutes it and then it evaporates and you never get the smell like on your body when you spray the perfume on you so that's why perfumes also have like an alcohol mixture into them because that kind of encapsulates these volatile oils and prevents them from evaporating at just a regular room temperature um so anyway what they're trying to find here is the things that change what they did find was that it was different at all three times when they measured it 
then when they brought it back, it's not like the astronauts were smelling it up there. Because one, like your ability to smell things in a microgravity environment without an atmosphere, it gets really limited too. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily because those volatiles don't interact with the your nerves inside your nose that are connected to your brain the same way or they're just not able to get there and bind the same way because of the microgravity environment. But basically you don't smell near as well when you're in space, which Isn't it is helpful because also, if it's stinky up there, cause everyone's just farting in a, in a tight capsule, you don't really smell it as much. Isn't it also like the capillaries in your nose expand so much? Yeah. That might that have like to be with it too. Blocks the tissue or something. <clears throat> So let me get to the, so they didn't sniff the flowers. They, uh, collected the scents through the, um, through chemical analysis and they would just reach into the chamber. These chambers were sealed. So they reach into the chamber with like a little silicon fiber brush and they kind of like just brush the, um, the roses a little bit and take out the sample and then use that sample to get a chemical analysis and then they would analyze it when they took brought it back to Earth, analyze the molecules they found on it. Then, once you knew the exact sort of chemical and molecular compound that you had sampled in space, then you can synthesize that and then recreate it in a lab once you're here. Um, and so what they did with that was they like averaged together the three very different smells that were, hadn't different fragrances that had never been experienced on the planet earth that could only be experienced in microgravity. They synthesized those. And, um, now a, uh, the company Shiseido, I think that's how you say it from Japan. Shiseido, yeah. yeah. So they then, uh, bought that, um, I guess recipe and now make a perfume called Zen. So you can get like a perfume that is the smell of what a rose smells like in space but you can only smell it if you're in space because you can't ever smell a rose that smells like that on Earth. Huh. Yeah, I um, Shiseido is like very, very popular. Uh, they make high quality stuff. I said, I think like Shiseido would probably be on the, on par with like Estee Lauder or something. Okay. Um, possibly. I don't know. I'm basing all of this off of uh, knowing Miho. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. Well, and the cool thing about it was when it, I didn't even know, like we did the smell episode with the senses, so we knew like how that those things work with your brain, but I didn't I didn't know how um, particular and fine down at the molecular level each fragrance that is produced by a plant is, and how that just slight changes in the environment change how those volatile oils, um, I guess, change the molecular compound of them. And so it binds with the receptors in your brain in a totally different way than it would if it was on the planet Earth it, rather than being in space. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, it is like, I mean, knowing how long roses have been cultivated for their like perfumes and stuff that is kind of interesting because it's like the <clears throat> i was speaking at the top like how all of the different types of families are related to each other and all these different types of fruits and stuff 
Um, that relationship of the families was not known until 2011 when they did like, like genetic analysis mm-hmm. to it all. Um, so it's, it's kind of crazy that for so many years, people have just been going off of like the sniff test. <laughs> really. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> to be like, this one smells good. This one doesn't. Well, I mean, I'm sure they ask outcast how good roses smell, but they, <laughs> there's, the differences between all of them as like just comes down to a few people like smelling it. Whereas now you can fabricate it in a lab chemically, um, which is crazy. Well, but yeah, that makes sense, but it's wild. Well, and the, just the other crazy thing that the roses on earth, you know, the fragrance isn't like some ubiquitous sort of thing. It's very much an evolutionary, um, niche for whatever environment that that rose grew in so like if it grows in a place where there's a lot of pollinators like honeybees then it's going to be a real sweet smelling rose because that's the kind of thing that attracts honeybees but Mm -hmm. if it grows in a place where it's surrounded by like farm animals and maybe like places where there's that other things have died or there's a lot of like excrement and things around it then it will have a much bitter or sour type of almost kind of like um like death smell to it because the pollinators that are like the flies and different things that uh are attracted to rotting flesh go and they're the ones that pollinate those roses so you have roses that do smell like rotting flesh (laughs) as well as roses that smell sweet (laughs) (laughs) it's wild um and it's like such a i don't know yeah i guess if you think about it that way like it it wasn't determined by humans (laughs) until you get to like the cultivation phase which is really only in the last what few thousand years possibly yeah maybe a thousand like i think the record i forget where i was reading where they had the um it, or at least like the full like domestication of gardening and all that type of stuff goes back to kind of like England in the 1100 AD or something like that. Yeah, like the monasteries were really big on it. Um, thank you, Gregor Mendel. Uh, but it's like it, it was kind of interesting because the rose, it was so popular and greek and roman times like obviously like aphrodite Mm -hmm. um having this symbol and so it was associated with pagans and i don't know for whatever reason just the rose had such a strong hold over humans (laughs) that it only took a few centuries of christianity before the rose was being associated with like jesus christ wait a second like, you're telling me christians co-opted a bunch of pagan symbols to be popular in the secular culture <laughs> i know um but they i mean it it became so so entwined though with uh christianity that like uh the virgin mary is surrounded by roses in like mm. these medieval paintings and roses were then associated with um you know jesus for his passion faith eternal life because of the long lasting smell of the petals and the and then they were associated with martyrs so any saint there's like a myth that any saint that died 
for their faith, as they call it, which was probably them killing other people who didn't become Christians, and then those people got fed up with them and killed them. Yeah. But, you know, we rewrite. Good old Crusades <laughs> type of stuff. Yeah, they... Um, there's this myth that like, if you opened up their tomb, roses will be growing in the tomb. Mm. Um, so it's, and you know, plant, putting roses on a grave was another, like that's a Roman kind of uh, tradition, which I'm sure they took from somebody. Yeah. Which then um, got co-opted to be a saint. Do you, that's what you do for saints. Right. So it's, it's kind of interesting that like it has such a strong hold over it, but really it's only bugs that decided <laughs> that it was going to have a strong hold. Um, well, and I, and I still don't understand how, how could we get to, you know, 1450s England and we have, we can't be more creative than to have, you know, different dynastic families all, all have the rose emblem as their emblem. Like, can't somebody yeah. like be a lion and someone else be like a, you know, a grasshopper or something. Why, why are we like, why does everyone have to have the same sigil and then we're all going to fight over it? Yeah. The, <laughs> the rose thing was strange. I tried to look into it and then I remembered they were English and I was like, why would I give any, <laughs> uh, second thought <laughs> to these people? Well, we just but, love the fact that it's, it's really what set off the Tudor dynasty. You know, the Tudors came together and we we're like, look, we don't just have to have white roses and we don't just have to have red roses. What if we mixed them? And then that settled the War of the Roses. <laughs> <laughs> Is this... So that family, like, which in popular culture has become so popular because apparently that's what, like, Game of Thrones was based on. Was um, it? That's, yeah, that's what people have said. I was watching some videos and they were showing, like, how... Which I haven't watched Game of Thrones, okay. but they're showing I don't how, know like, which these, one's supposed to be Henry VIII. Well, so he comes later in the story, which is what I was going to ask, because they're like talking about it. And it's like, you know, Henry V and then he died. Then it was Henry VI. And then Henry VII is like kind of what ended the the feud or whatever. And and then I was like, isn't the next guy the one that's like <laughs> killing his wives all the time? Um, but, he's, you know, he's that's, the coolest one. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's, he's yeah, the one he's, who decided, uh, you know what? Fuck Catholicism. We could do this ourselves. We'll be German. <laughs> um, speaking of German, did you know about the uh, White Rose, the White Rose of uh, Nazi Germany? No. Are you about to tell me that all roses are also Nazi symbols, along with sunflowers and everything else? What are we doing? <laughs> I would. I you. What a good guess, considering it was Nazi Germany and it was a white rose. <laughs> um, but no, it was actually like a student. Um, what would you? What is the word for this? A uh, a group of students who were anti-Nazi, like put out uh, flyers and propaganda and stuff. Antifa. Um, uh, <laughs> come on, they're not making me watch Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> Um, I just remembered I had a dream last night and pointed at someone and called them Antifa, jokingly. Um, <laughs> can't remember why. And so it was, there was like this brother and sister that were teenagers when Hitler came to power. And uh, like every other little German at the time, they were in the Hitler youth slash um, 
what was the one for girls? The the German Mary German Harden girls, Baylor. something, something. And so they uh, League of German Girls. There, see, I had it in my notes. I wasn't. Anyways, the they're brother and sister, and the brother was like really good at the Hitler Youth, which is you know. Um, he shares that in common with the current Pope or was that the last Pope? Um, uh, they're, would, the they're all from South America now. So probably no, there was one that was in the Hitler youth very recently, oh, okay. um, within my lifetime. And so the, he rose up through the ranks and then was like overseeing some of the, the programming, um, and he was like chosen to hold a flag at a at a march, a rally, and then he, the story goes, became disgusted with how much he saw the public, like fervor for this um, Nazi rhetoric and everything. And you know, I spoke about I'm reading the Anatomy of Fascism book. Um, probably haven't read it since I mentioned it like a month ago, but <laughs> that's how I read. <laughs> a little uh, bit so, at a time. And I want a noodle on it, right? (laughs) But anyways, he became disgusted with it, but then he he went to college and then was going to medical school, and that's when the war broke out. And so he was doing army duties and going to medical school, which I don't know how they separated at the time. But he met four other people, uh, three other people that also, which I'm imagining at the time, is very difficult to find people who are also genuinely <laughs> disgusted by things yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah. The the, um, the dissolution disaffected youth. Right. Uh but they they actually like pooled their money together and bought printing supplies and used the space under a friend's studio to start making like leaflets and planning out graffiti and they would like paste these leaflets all over they would drop them in like university squares and all this kind of stuff um that were trying to cause people to like question why they were following this and you know showing how much of the war was destroying their home country and everything like that which is you know very noble they went so far as to like the czechoslovakian border to meet like anti-nazi rebels there and exchange messages and stuff. So okay. in just like under a year, they had this, just these three people, four people had a huge operation that they were causing issues. They were like in, I believe Berlin. So that's, you're getting the attention of, you know, the Gestapo, obviously. Um, and the guy's sister comes home from wherever she was working. I can't remember where, and she is like surprised because she finds the printing materials like in his room, but then joins up too. And um, long story short, they go to a university and they're there to drop like a briefcase full of leaflets. And a custodian sees them with the briefcase, calls the Gestapo, and they show up immediately and arrest them. Mm. And the Hans guy tried to like rip up and swallow the like original document. But then they um what was it? They they're like, no, we this is just an empty briefcase. I was coming to pick something up from a friend. Yeah. But the Gestapo then 
went and collected every leaflet they had dropped and put them back in the briefcase and are like, these fit pretty snug. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Seems like these drugs do fit in your pocket, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so then they confessed, which I'm like, come on. At that point, you could just be like, well, yeah, they're papers that somebody else probably brought in a briefcase. Right. That's that's when they got Mirandized and they were like, I want my lawyer. I'm not talking to you anymore. It doesn't work so well with the Gestapo because (laughs) two days later they were killed at the guillotine, um, which I didn't know the guillotine was used that recently. Um, But apparently it was the like uh, execution of of choice from the no for the uh nazi like what do you call those kind those kinds of courts is that a kangaroo court uh like no the defendant doesn't get to say anything oh i yeah i don't know i don't know what word you're Um, looking for i only know kangaroo court from uh baseball what does kangaroo court mean so like in in baseball like every team i was on would have like a kangaroo court and It'd be like if you did something stupid in the game, you know, like you made a boneheaded mistake, mental errors, or or even if it was just something funny, like uh, you fell down, you tripped over your bat when you were running out of, running from home plate to first base or something, you know, whatever like that. Mm-hmm. But it would always be like, uh, you know, now you got to like uh, do a drink like a whole slurpy suicide or something you know in the major leagues they do it but of course they like find each other thousands of dollars for fun and you know things like that because they're all because <laughs> they all have a bunch of money but yeah, yeah in uh in like high school and college it was always like prank related like if you did this then now you got to go do this thing like you got to go talk to these girls in the lunchroom that everyone's scared of or whatever well it's um I would imagine <clears throat> instead that the punishment would be stand against the wall and we'll throw this baseball at you like <laughs> 10 times, but don't flinch. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 He flinched. <laughs> That's two more, uh, which was always the weirdest rule. Um, it's involuntary. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the white rose was kind of, it was interesting because the, apparently the white rose, there was a book, um, that was banned in Nazi Germany called the white rose. That was about, I think like war resistance or something like that. I can't quite remember. Um, but it was sold to, um, that Hans kid, uh, by a bookkeeper that was anti-Nazi. And so to protect him, he like didn't mention, like they didn't mention the white rose name or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but so to tie it all back into roses, they didn't even use the name White Rose because they were protecting the original author. Well, they used it on their pamphlets, but he I can't remember. Maybe he didn't disclose why the name was the White Rose. Mm. Um, But in Nazi or in (laughs) Nazi Germany, in today's Germany, not Nazi at all. uh, They they like the White Rose is like a big anti-Nazi symbol, okay, okay. which is, um, so it's kind of, you know, like the, the English, because they have to do things differently, love the poppy, right? Yeah. Because it, of World War One, Because of Armistice or whatever. Yeah. Isn't that yeah, what it's for? Yeah. Armistice Day? Uh, yes, but 
what does that even mean? That's a that's the we end don't of the use war. That word in- we officially eleven a.m. We officially all the guns stopped. We all it was over. But peace be with you. Because it's something with poppy fields. I don't know. But do you know about the Yellow Rose of Texas? I've always known the song or known uh, it in lore. I have no idea what the or origin of it is. So first off, the Yellow Rose of Texas is another name for Harrison's Yellow Rose, uh, which is a hybrid offshoot of a different Yellow Rose that is native to the Caucasus Mountains uh, and has six petals, which is kind of strange. Like the six flags over Texas. Hey, hey. But uh, Harrison's Yellow is a double version, so it has 12 petals. And it first appeared in New York City. And then when people moved like from New York to um, other places, like people took plants that they really liked, like grabbed them and kept Mm -hmm. them moist on the trail. And apparently Harrison's yellow flower, so the yellow rose of Texas, which is not from Texas, um, you can follow the Oregon Trail. Okay. Because people like planted it along the way. Yeah. which is kind of cool. Um, so, so it's a plant of migration. Yeah, and in at the end of the trail, it's actually known as the Logtown Rose because it's like found in abandoned log towns. Okay, like the roses are still growing there, which is kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> but the actual, you know, Yellow Rose of Texas, like the story of uh, Sam Houston sent a prostitute in to keep uh, Santa Ana busy so that's why they invaded san did you not know this lord no i didn't know this right i mean i I always thought that uh santa anna was bested because he took a nap no it was he um, took a nap under a tree and they got him um they got him (laughs) well that's like after he was injured (laughs) at san jacinto so uh or he no 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 that's a painting of them resting under the tree after they caught him in a barn after he fled San Jacinto. Yeah, yeah. But but the reason they had the jump on him was I thought that the whole thing was because like they had a big party or the Mexican army had a big party and then was having like a sleep day the next day or something like that. But that's probably well, that's some like, racist origin to that story as well. Right. I would not I would not trust that. I would not put that into public record. Um <laughs> I'm asking you to confirm. The, <laughs> confirm or deny confirm or deny <laughs> so the uh apparently the song yellow rose of texas was from the 1830s but not popularized until the civil war okay um which is kind of interesting but the song being written in the 1830s i think the early 1830s people who know like the origin story of the um emily west a person that in the myth was like a prostitute that sam houston sent to keep santa anna busy so that they would then you know he would sleep in late so then they would have the jump on him and what they like burned one of the bridges or something across the river so there was only one river to go in and out um anyways that's like you know the end of the texas revolution the big battle and when they finally the actual, seceded from Mexico so they could maintain slavery. Yeah. It was, um, it's kind of a 
like people associate that song with this woman Emily West and they do so because she was um she was half black half white and there's plenty of terms that people use back then that I'm not going to use today <laughs> which I was very surprised to find still on these websites describing this story okay. um including history channels website okay. um but uh a term like people would call someone of mixed black and white um, heritage or, or race or whatever, they would use the color yellow to describe that person, oh. which um, feels like weird to use a color to describe. Is a that person, where but yellow that's... belly comes from to mean you're scared? I wonder. I thought that was because like. A lizard has kind of a yellow belly. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's a different color green or something. Um, but I don't know. I do wonder. Uh, but I'll not be looking into that. You're not as brave on... as this white-bellied folk. <laughs> yeah, I'll look on incognito mode. <laughs> there um, you go. Now the government won't know. <laughs> but in the fall of 1835... So the thing was like she was a prostitute slash slave of one of the colonels um, at the time, and that was why Sam Houston had the authority to like send yeah, her go fuck, into the go fuck him. Right. Well, um, in the fall of 1835, they actually did like record tracing, <laughs> and it's kind of funny because they're like her passport for Texas, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> guess she, um, guess she needs that now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 1835, a free African-American woman from Connecticut named Emily D. West signed a one-year contract with Colonel James Morgan to work as a housekeeper in New Washington, um, which was later known as Morgan's Point, which was a small settlement in Texas. And in the mid-April 1836, which, you know, that's when the battle is, the Mexican troops commanded by Santa Ana... Um, which again, it's kind of crazy that like, was he, he was the president, right? Yeah. Like, come on, Biden. Why aren't you in Yemen right now? <laughs> um, but anyways, um, he's got to ride a bike to get there. Um, so <laughs> after they were looted, looting and burning the settlement, Santa Ana and his soldiers, uh, forced Emily West to accompany them as they left several days later. So she wasn't like told by Sam Houston to go distract them. Like she was kidnapped in the town. Um, and then West, according to legend, was in Santa Ana's tent on April 21st when the uh, Texan army, like, you know, found their camp and had the Battle of San Jacinto, which I don't think was much of a battle because uh, it was early in the morning. But there's no record of her being like a Texan spy or anything mm. like that. That's just a totally made up story that didn't even come into popularity until a British journalist, again, leave it up to the British, um, was traveling through and in his diary wrote that like he was there in 1842 and wrote that this Emily West was in the camp and it wasn't until like, after the civil war i don't even think it was until like the 90s that people started like this saying oh yeah she was like you know sent there to distract santa Ana," and the song the yellow rose of texas is about her heroine of the it's, texas revolution 
Yeah, it's um, it's totally made up, which is um, you know, a great Texan tradition. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just found that very interesting because I was like, just think of all the lives know. she could have saved if we sent her to the Alamo instead. <laughs> well, inside of the Alamo, like the the church mission, or yeah, yeah. Okay. Then Santa Ana would have been like, hands off, my baby's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um when did that Alamo movie come out? Was that good? I can't imagine it was good. No, there's a you know, what? There's been a few of them. You know, there's there the old one John Wayne the, one that we've all seen where he plays Davy Crockett. And then I've not seen there's that one. the uh there was like the oh no, there's that long um like TV movie series. I think it was just called Texas. And they have like a big thing on the Alamo in there. And then there's like the Alamo movie with Billy Bob Thornton and... Yeah, 2004, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emilio We got all the best Republican actors. Yes. Well, you had to because that was... I wonder if this... If you could trace this movie to some sort of turning point in all of their (laughs) their lives. They became radicalized by the Alamo movie. (laughs) Yeah. I think in that movie too, God, it was two hours and 17 minutes. Yeah. I didn't know this was in the Marvel no, Cinematic no inter- Universe. No intermission. I mean, at least Gettysburg was... had an intermission. <laughs> Did they, I feel like they didn't even show the final battle because they were like, oh, this will be too rough for the people to see. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to actually see all our heroes die. Right. Um, but it, the thing that tainted me on that movie was I had just been to the Alamo so many times that I saw their recreation <laughs> movie that they play. <laughs> so I was just like, well, yeah, this is, I've seen this already. <laughs> I know what happens. Then they build San Antonio and the Riverwalk, and it's it all works out. And then too many people eating churros. Oh, those damn churros. They get, they get us all. Once you try one, you can't stop. <laughs> Was that Charles Barkley? Yeah. He finally tried um, his churros and he apologized to all the women of San Antonio because he says, I get it now. You just can't stop eating these things. <laughs> they just taste so good. <laughs> had he never had a churro before that? He hadn't had a churro before that. Man. What a sad life. Churros are only good, though, if they're crisp. You can get a floppy churro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's like a thing you go to different parts of at least America and you know the different places that make churros because of their different uh, migrant populations make them in different ways you know yeah like in Texas they're usually like the long they're kind of girthy and they're very crisp covered with powdered sugar but I've also seen them where they're not even like spiraled they're just kind of like short little tubes almost like uh eating like mini corn dogs or something and they're real soft and mm. kind of chewy like a funnel cake not not the same thing the disneyland churro was star shaped maybe like 10 12 point star straight so not twisted and uh covered in cinnamon which is like i think kind of the common way because at the mm-hmm. i mean i guess they used to be owned by disney but at the angels stadium that's like the type of churro they sell yeah 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 but um that's churro talk for you well i'm glad you taught me about roses Thank you for um, suffering through this with, uh, you know, 
Ingrid and her gal pals talking about roses. All right, man. Well, until next week. Bye.